Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Hi, Johnny. Hello, my love. Hi, everyone. Okay, hope everyone had a great week out there. You had a busy week. Yes, this is the week after we uh, had our big interview with David Smalley. Yeah. And uh, then things sort of took off on the podcast and on YouTube. Right. And that interview was pretty interesting to say the least, huh? Yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, Certainly I could critique myself in certain ways about it, Yeah, but I learned things and Mm -hmm. uh, I guess God has us on that trajectory. Right. And you did really well for what it's worth. I was very impressed. Oh, thank you, my love. Yeah. I'm your biggest fan and not just because (laughs) of a matters of the heart interest. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And um, we were fulfilling our promise that we made in our inaugural episode this year that we were going to take the battle to the enemy. Yeah. And uh, so we've begun that. And we have some other things in process that may continue that same strategy. So right, we'll see right. what happens as the as the year unfolds. Yeah. And if anyone would like to hear that interview, you added the link to the description, right, John? Right. It will yep. be there for you as soon as you're done listening to this. Okay. On top of that, you've been busy taking all of your Christian atheist material, like the transcripts right. that you've done over the past three years, and you're going to start publishing them in ebook format. Right. We're figuring that maybe because of the density of the material, Mm -hmm. many of our listeners might find a benefit from being able to actually read the material instead of just listen on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And so for a fairly nominal cost, we want to publish the transcripts of The Christian Atheist so that you can get them and that in some small way we can fund the ministry that we've undertaken here. Right. And you put a lot of work into them over the last couple of years. So hopefully yes. this will give listeners a way to be able to access your series in a readable format. And as mm-hmm. Paul said, the laborer is worthy of his hire. So hopefully all the time and effort that we've put into it will pay off for our listeners mm-hmm. and in some small way for us as we move forward. Okay, so the poison of subjectivism. Ta-da! Right, so here we are. (laughs) The next episode that we've promised in the new format. This week we are looking at C.S. Lewis's The Poison of Subjectivism and trying to sort of go over the material fairly quickly Mm -hmm. in an understandable manner that hopefully makes it more accessible to our listeners. Right, and that was what your your Christian Atheist episode was about earlier this week. Right, and we Mm -hmm. called it of course, the poison of subjectivism or modern idolatry, right? And that's the sort of punchy point that I'm trying to draw from each one of these C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. episodes that hopefully gives us a bit of a new angle on what Lewis is saying. Right, right. So firstly, um, if you want to listen to the essay being read without commentary, you can get it on our Simple Gifts podcast, and you have the links to that in the description All right, John, so what's the background on this essay that is entitled The Poison of Subjectivism? Who who wrote it? Of course. So this is written by, again, C.S. Lewis. Right. And what year? So it was written in 1943 in the midst of World War II. Right. So that's what was going on in the world. What was going on in Lewis's world? Like, what was going on? What was he seeing around him? Lewis was looking around and seeing some serious problems in the sociocultural world, and especially in his academic environment, Mm -hmm. that there were certain philosophical issues 
arising. And he saw this issue of subjectivism as being absolutely central in understanding the direction of the world as it was currently going right. and was very concerned about it. Right. Okay. So he begins this essay by looking around at the current world and he sees serious philosophical problems, like you said, which are allowing all sorts of errors to creep into the thinking. This was written in 1943. What were the serious philosophical problems okay, that he so was seeing? Exactly. Lewis is worried about what he calls subjectivism. But we should understand that mm -hmm. what Lewis means here is something that we have talked about in our episodes on Hegel right. as relativism. And the world is awash and has been awash for at least two centuries with a relativism that has reduced all around us to merely subjective opinions in the mind. Right. And Lewis is deeply concerned about this mm -hmm. because if everything is subjective, you have your truth and I have my truth, then we lose all objective restraint. Right. So it takes us back really to the claim of Dostoevsky, if God is dead, then everything is permissible. And it even traces back to Descartes. Right. And actually, this is the philosophical point that Lewis makes. Yeah. Subjectivism is abroad today because at the time of the Enlightenment, René Descartes did what I have called in philosophical terms, the epistemological turn. Mm -hmm. Whereas most of the history of philosophy actually studied metaphysics, what is the nature of reality? And they did so by assuming that human rationality was the proper instrument to use to lead us to a proper understanding right? That mm -hmm. logic itself is a tool by which we comprehend truth as we look at the world around us and we understand and use our senses to apprehend that world. Right. But Lewis says, and I think properly so, that we have now sort of turned our mm -hmm. eyes back on ourselves and we've begun to examine the nature of human reason itself. Right. And picking up on the, the Enlightenment scientistic vision that materialism is what is really real, that matter is the only real substantial reality. Right. We've come to the conclusion that human rationality is a, as he says, an epiphenomenon. It's not trustworthy. That is not trustworthy. Right. It is merely an illusion, mm -hmm. something that has evolved in order to preserve the species of humanity, but that in itself, we have no transcendent reason to believe that human rationality is a functional tool to discover truth. Right. And all of that sounds like what we've already talked about in the Hegel series. Right. And um, what we talked about in the Hegel simplified discussions. Right. Which is why I made such a point that Hegel is vital to understand in our current world. Mm -hmm. Because uh, so much of what Lewis points to and complains about and worries about in this essay and elsewhere is a result of Hegelian philosophy absolutely infiltrating the mind mm -hmm. of the West. Right. So subjectivism is an element of Hegel. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I've called it in the very first of our Hegel series, the suicide of the West. And I think that's a, an appropriate label. And Lewis says something very similar here as we proceed in on. In the beginning. Okay. So Lewis says right there at the beginning that there's no reason for supposing that if material metaphysics is true, that our reason yields truth. Right. If materialist yeah. metaphysics is true, there's no reason for us to believe that we can discover truth in any mm -hmm. absolute sense. So, so human reason allows us to look at reality. 
Right. If we assume, as the Western tradition has assumed, coming down through Christendom, uh-huh. that human reason is a gift of God, that we are reflection of God, uh-huh. then we have good reason to assume that our reason leads us to truth. Right. But if we are simply an evolved mechanism, if our rationality is simply an epiphenomenon built on top of, of materialist metaphysics, mm-hmm. then why should yeah. we assume that it can discover anything that is true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you said this already, that the turn started with Descartes, goes through Hegel, and then through the psychological investigations of Freud. Right. Psychology has certainly contributed mm-hmm. to the notion that there is no reason for us to trust human reason. Right. That re- it is simply a faulty mechanism. Yeah, it just becomes matter, right? Reason yeah. just becomes matter. It is a reflection of matter. It is an epiphenomenon of matter, and it has no substantial reality of its own. And that's Lewis's problem in this essay with subjectivism? Is that, it's part is of that, it. Right. That, it's, it's, it's the fact that human beings have come to think that because it is merely a material manifestation. Mm-hmm. That ethics itself is something that is malleable. Right, right. That we can choose our ethics. Right. Instead of of discovering that, in fact, ethics, as Martin Luther King said, mm -hmm. is a fundamental part of the world, that value is built into the metaphysical reality Mm -hmm. of the world. And then basically, you're just doubting the tool that historically led us to truth, right? Right. In fact, he says, until modern times, no thinker of the first rank ever doubted that our judgments of value were rational judgments or that what they discovered was objective. Mm-hmm. But now we do. Right. In fact, very, it's, it is the very essence of academic thought right. today that ethics is no more mm-hmm. than emotion. Right, right. Merely an epiphenomenon, not a reality. Yeah. So, by the way, not to get off topic, but you talk about the nature of human rationality in your series, A Matter of Faith, and in The Evident Evidence and Faith. Right. right? And and also in our series on ethics earlier on. Ethics as well. I think it's in the teens of our episodes. So, that might be someplace the listeners would like to go to hear more. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, it's the whole point of science, right? Yes. If human rationality cannot be trusted, then science has no foundation mm-hmm. on which to stand. Yeah, exactly. And that Lewis actually makes that point early in the essay, that the sciences are one of the great holdouts to this notion. Mm-hmm. And we see that in today's woke culture, right. right? For the most part, it is the sciences that are the last to fall to wokeism. Mm-hmm. And yet they are they falling. They are falling. Right? Yeah. Medicine and science, math. which used to be science, which used to be evidence based, mm-hmm. and mathematics, even right. mathematics, which is yeah, <laughs> that's what got James. Uh, that's what got James Lindsay so mm-hmm. upset, yeah, and got him into the battle. Right. These things are now falling prey to this fundamental subjectivism that Lewis is pointing to in this essay. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to faith. When it comes to faith, fundamental faith starts with believing that. Reason and our senses can lead us to truth, right? Right. That is where we start in the Western world, Mm -hmm. in the Christian world, with the idea that as God said in Genesis, he saw that everything that he created was good. Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, if we believe that, then we have good reason to start with the notion that our senses are not deceiving us, Mm -hmm. 
and that our reason, when properly used, can lead us to understand reality and truth. In other words, that the investigations of science are well-founded right? because we share in the image of God. Right. And this kind of underlies the whole essay? It does, yes. Don't you think? Sure. Yeah. And on the other hand, if the structures of our knowledge are in doubt, then we destroyed the... Right. We cut off the, the branch that we're sitting on. Yeah, the foundation That of science is sitting knowledge. on. Okay, John, so let's look at the two ways of looking at this. I guess one would be that our reason doesn't lead us to truth, right? Right. And if that's the case, why should we trust reason at all? Right. Right. And, and that's they, the logic of atheism that atheists never trace out. They hold on to the claim that our reason is trustworthy yeah. and that we're investigating a reality that is true. Yeah. But they fail to recognize that following the logic of atheism actually destroys that. Right. So right. they're holding on, as we said in the Hegel episodes, to the corpse of God. Mm -hmm. They're holding on to that idea of a tr transcendent reality. Right. They're not letting that go. They're mm -hmm. trying. And that's why I said we have so little to fear from creedal atheism. Yeah. Yeah. But the other way of looking at it is that we can believe what the Western tradition has given us. Right. And that's just moving on with mm -hmm. what Christianity right. has taught us all along. Yeah. And they, of course, want to hold on to the transcendent reality yeah. without holding on to the being of the transcendent reality yeah. in God. In your interview with, I'm sympathetic with that to a yeah. certain degree. Yeah. In your e interview with David C. Smalley this right. past week, Remember, he said that science has given us everything. Yes. And religion has given, <laughs> given us, us nothing. nothing. <laughs> and like we should just trust in math and physics. Right. Yeah. And, and my response to that was yeah, well, Christianity has given us science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I really believe that. I, I think Nietzsche himself said mm -hmm. that the Western mind was disciplined by Christianity mm -hmm. so that it could develop the structures of science. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Science has to assume that reality exists, right? right? And that truth can be found out. Yep. And those are ideals. It, it falls apart otherwise. Right. Right? They're, yeah. they're the ideals of reason. Yeah. And and Lewis even says in the essay that he was seeing cracks, right? At his time. Right. Yeah. yeah he scientists, that even yeah. the scientists were yeah. starting to fall prey yeah. to this fundamental subjectivism. Yeah. They were putting putting aside the, dis, you know, discovering reality. Right. Right. And one of the things I love about Lewis, and we've, we've discovered this as we've read some of his fiction and a lot of his essays, mm -hmm. is that his idea really fits almost perfectly with the biblical concept of God as the fundamental reality. Mm -hmm. God is real yeah. in the most fundamental sense, and everything else is simply an approach to that reality. Right, right. So... Back to those cracks he was seeing. We see that big time now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there are more than cracks at this point. They're chasms. Yeah. And yeah. and it's ripping our society apart. Yeah, yeah. And the West is really in the process of destroying itself. Yeah. You know, what's been interesting is reading the Space Trilogy. I mean, if you read it, it's like he's seeing what's going on right now. Right. He or he saw it, what was going on right now, yeah. He developed it as a narrative that sort of collapsed into that hideous strength mm -hmm. where everything started to fall apart until the forces of good reasserted mm -hmm. and destroyed that which was taking apart the world. You know? Right. And as you said over and over again, in when we read the Space Trilogy, it all goes back to Hegel. Yes. It all points back to Hegel. 
Okay, so that's the poison of subjectivism, huh? Yes, indeed. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Lewis says that it's new at that time, right? But you say that this doctrine isn't new. No, not new at no. all. Yeah, In fact, we can trace it all the way back historically to the sophists of Plato and Socrates. Right. Time. And you even traced it back in other Christian atheist episodes to Cain and Abel. Right. Yeah. And as you said, all the way back to Satan's rebellion. That's true too, yeah. Yep. And I like the way you always apply that, Cain and Abel. Yeah, I so like how you apply the that. way of Cain and the way of Abel. Yeah. One trusts in the structure of the universe as it was created by mm -hmm. a good God. Right. And the other thinks he knows better. Right. right. So this is the Gnostic religion that we have said all of this amounts to, mm -hmm. claiming that we know more than we can know yeah. instead of trusting in the structures of reality as right. God has made them. Right. So it's not new like Lewis said it was, but it's more like a pervasiveness of thinking that's right. new. Yep. And that's why I said with Hegel, so much has pervaded our society that we are unaware how much we all think yeah. that way. Yeah. And I mean in the Christian church itself, as well as in secular society. Yeah. Uh, we have all come to sort of accept these, these doctrines of subjectivism. Yeah. All we have to do is think about in academia, can I judge another culture because they think differently than we do? Mm -hmm. Well, no, because see, their morals are just a reflection of their society right. and ours are a reflection of our society. Who am I to judge? Right. As a professor, I have heard that so many times yeah. in my life. Right. And it's garbage. Right. right because right. reality and truth and ethics mm -hmm. are universals. Mm -hmm. They are actual things. And wrong is wrong in all cultures right. and times. Right. And that is what God calls us to, not to wishy washy. Oh, you're okay. I'm okay. Yeah. No, no. Probably mm -hmm. you're not okay, and neither am I, because <laughs> no, the moral law actually makes it clear that both of us have failed in almost every way it is possible to right, fail. Right. Okay. So at this point, I'd like to suggest that our listeners read a poignant essay that I read to you this week on this topic by Mary Midgley, entitled "Trying Out One's New Sword." It addresses these these issues very well, um, and we'll make sure and put a link in the description. Okay, so let's get to the central point of the essay because Lewis puts the problem into a nutshell, right? And you really like the way he put it, actually. Okay, so let me, in order to encapsulate this nutshell, just read a little bit of the essay. Okay. To say that a thing is good on this new understanding of reality is merely to express our feeling about it. This is subjectivism, as Lewis is calling it, yeah. right? So it's just a matter of our emotional response. And our feeling about it is the feeling that we have been socially conditioned to have. This is that cultural relativism we were talking about just a second yep. ago. Yep. But if this is so, then we might have been conditioned to feel otherwise. Perhaps, thinks the reformer or the educational expert, it would be better if we were. Let us improve our morality. Mm -hmm. And then I love what Lewis yeah. says next. Out of this apparently innocent idea, and think of all of the woke ideas yeah, yeah. that we live on today. They seem to present something that is really good. Right. right? It's do. an innocent nice. idea. 
who could possibly be against being against racism? Right. Right. Or against the oppression of women. Right. All of these things are good on their face. These apparently innocent ideas. So he says, out of this apparently innocent idea comes the disease that will certainly end our species. Mm -hmm. And in my view, damn our souls if it is not crushed. And this is what he says it is. Yeah. The fatal superstition that men can create values. Right. And you really like I love really that he love calls the it word superstition. a superstition. Yeah. Because a superstition is something that we believe in without any good reason. Right. And it's, almost, it's also almost a quasi-religious I was going to say, notion. it's almost like a religious idea. Right. And yeah. so superstitions are quasi-religious notions. And he explains this a little later. Mm -hmm. Because I think right here, Lewis is making a really good claim to tell us what ideology amounts to. Yeah, yeah. So the fatal superstition that men can create values. That is, that value is subjective, mm -hmm. not objective. Yeah. And that is dangerous. And now we're here with people telling us that we need to get rid of our past. Right. The idea that our ethical past mm -hmm. is deeply flawed yeah. by the new ethical reformers. Yeah. Why don't we just get rid of our past? Why can't we just move forward? Because ethics is a human universal. As Kant taught us, the ought is the very nature of human ethics. Mm -hmm. That is the idea that we are obligated to act correctly, right, ethically. That is fundamental to all human beings. It's not subjective. It is a matter of the natural law of the universe. Right must be respected. Otherwise, we are not rational creatures. Right. And this, Lewis says later in the essay, is not something that can be argued for. It is endemic to human rationality itself. It must simply be accepted because it is, in fact, universal. Mm -hmm. We encounter it in every human species, in every time, throughout all of history. Ethics has a, an almost universal structure to it. Mm -hmm. Now, there are slight variances, but those variances are extremely slight. It is, of course, important to qualify that we're talking about ethical ideals and not ethical practice, which indeed does have quite a bit of variance throughout human history and different societies and practices. What is amazing about ethics is that human ethics vary almost not at all in terms of real structure throughout all of human history. That's right. And that is a point that Lewis makes repeatedly, and I think properly. We can't get rid of the ethical past because the ethical past is not past. Human beings are still human beings. Right. And if we think we can correct our ethics, then we are setting ourselves in a position of God right. in creating ethics. Mm -hmm. And that's just ridiculous. Okay. So getting back to where he said values being just a matter of social conditioning. Right. Yeah. We talked about that in regards to Hegel, where everything is socially constructed. Yeah. Social constructivism yeah. is one of the fundamental tenets of Hegelianism in our current world. And it is so pervasive. Right. It has progressed to the point. And you should note this 
that this is where the idea that a person can choose their gender came from. Right, right. Because slowly we started with the idea of things like we can socially construct our language. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we can socially construct other things. And eventually it gets to the point where we start believing that there is nothing objective about the world. Right. right Everything right. is subjective and we can choose whatever we want. Right. And you said just a couple seconds ago about we put ourselves in place of God creating yes. value. Yes. Yeah. And he is the one who creates value. I mean, yeah, he did it when actually, he declared that all was good. Yeah. And actually, I would even say that God does not create value. Okay. But that he is value. value. Mm -hmm. And that when he creates something, he calls it good by virtue of it participating in who he right. is. Okay. I rather than in creating it. I mean, creating it would like be bringing... Bringing Bring value it. into being, but value is being itself, yes. Yes. as Plato taught us, and I think as is both rational and biblical. Yeah, that was good clarification. Thank you, John. Thank you, my lover. <laughs> okay. And Lewis says about how the measuring rod has to be independent of the thing being measured. Right. right? So if we're and going God to measure- is, Yeah, God is the measuring rod. Right. So God would be, in fact, the ultimate measuring rod. Yeah. And this is that pointing- beyond the imminent mm -hmm. towards the transcendent. Mm -hmm. Because we are always trying to determine what things are and how valuable they are. And of course, as Aristotle says, when we have these lower notions of value, they yeah. point us to a highest notion of value. Yeah. And that highest notion, although we never directly encounter it here in the world of imminence, yeah. is indicated here in the world of imminence. And that is one of the fundamental notions of what God is, value itself, the good itself, what Plato would call the good. And that goes back before Christianity. Well, Plato before talking Christianity. about this, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Right. So once you take away the objective meaning of value, you can't get it back. Right. right. So if we lose value, we get the problem of what I call the atheist problem of value, mm -hmm. which is analogous to the theistic problem of evil. Right. It's like if there's a perfectly good God in this world and he's all powerful, then how could evil have come into the world? Right. And that's a difficult problem to solve. We've been right. trying to solve it throughout Christian history. But the problem for atheism is the problem of value. Because if everything is simply material, then value is an epiphenomenon. Mm -hmm. But human beings can't live as if value is an epiphenomenon right. mm -hmm. because value is the very fundamental structure of human existence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked about that in your atheist series. Yes, where, quite extensively. Uh, and even in your Hegel series too, yeah. where, you, where the problem for Christians is evil and the yes. problem for atheists is value. Is yeah. value, yep. So those who buy into this subjectivism or this relativism, right. they want to come up with a better ethical system. Right. And what does that even mean? How do you even measure Better. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's the point. I've heard atheists trip up over this and make fun of Christians for bringing this point up. Uh -huh. But the point is a valid point because if value is merely subjective, then the only measuring rod you've got to measure it by are subjective values. Yeah. And so when one instinct tells us to preserve the species, but I have another instinct to kill you and eat you. Yeah. <laughs> By what measure can mm -hmm. we choose one as one. better than another? Right, right. 
And so people like Sam Harris. I was going to say it takes us back to, we've talked about him often enough. Try to come yeah. up with some notion of objective value. Mm -hmm. And David Smalley did this with us too. Mm -hmm. That is independent of believing in a, a transcendent reality, a transcendent value. And I think they all fall apart. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of someone else I know. Who's that? You in your atheist years. Oh, yes. You talked about this too that you felt objective values could be found in a world without God. Right. right. I actually tried to use all of the arguments that atheists now try to bring up to me, like mm -hmm. David Smalley did. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to hold on to them right. because I wanted transcendent value. And I wasn't aware that I was trying to hold on to the corpse of God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> at yeah. the time. And but I do understand that, that now. now. Yeah, you come to that realization. And you actually partially agree with Sam Harris in that where they come together, right? Well, yeah. And I can find a point of agreement mm -hmm. with Sam Harris and David Smalley and the other atheists who are trying to make the claim that the is-ought distinction can be overcome yeah. and an absolute value for ethics can be found. Mm -hmm. But it can only be found in the being of God. Right, right, right. Because that's where they come together. Right. In the ideal, in the ideal absolute, the mm -hmm. transcendent absolute. Right, right. But at any lower level, they fall apart. Yeah. And then when it's in science, scientific fact will never yield. Yeah. Scientific value. fact will always be fact because it's dealing with material reality. Yeah. We have to reach beyond material reality to ground value yeah. in being. Yeah. But I think it can be grounded there. And yeah. so they're ideally searching for something I think that is real. Mm -hmm. And what they're searching for, <laughs> and they hide it from themselves all the time, yeah. is the one thing they're denying. Right, right. God. Yeah. And they reject the traditional morality, right? Right. S some of them do. I mean, Not Sam Harris yeah. largely wants to embrace traditional morality, okay. but get rid of what he considers the extraneous and superstitious yeah, the stuff. the sticky parts. Right. <laughs> the, the God parts. Mm -hmm. And my claim is that in doing that, you end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, I what I wanted to say is rejecting those parts of traditional morality. Right. Yeah. And, and Lewis has some very important material to that yeah. help us understand yeah, exactly where, how they do that. Where will that on. take us? Yep. Okay. In fact, Lewis makes this point later on. And he says there are two principles which must be inscribed in our minds. Right. Right. And this really, I think, is the heart of the essay. Yeah, why don't okay. you read them? And for me, it has been one of the most productive thought yeah. issues in this essay. So Lewis says this, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. This whole attempt to jettison traditional values as something subjective and to substitute a new scheme of values for them is wrong. It is like trying to lift yourself by your own coat collar. Let us get two propositions written into our mind with indelible ink. One, the human mind has no more power of inventing a new value than of planting a new sun in the sky or a new primary color in the spectrum. That is, value, just like the things in the material world, are things we encounter mm -hmm. as human beings. Yeah. We don't create them any more than we create the sun or our colors in the spectrum. Right. I think that's a brilliant point. And it's, and it's dead on. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, what we human beings live. Mm -hmm. Secondly, every attempt to do so consists in arbitrarily selecting some one maxim of traditional morality, isolating it from the rest, yeah. 
and erecting it into an unum necessarium. And this is, for me, one of the most rich points I've ever gotten out of Lewis. Yeah. Because it's taking the part for the whole. Right. And this is Marx, right? This is exactly what Marx does. Yes. Marx takes the idea that we should have economic equality. Mm -hmm. And he raises that to the level of the the highest value. Yeah. And then every other value must serve that as a means to achieve it. And (laughs) and everything else then is subservient to that. Right, right. But that is not the hierarchy of value that tradition has given us. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to say that that tradition has given us, that was one of the criticisms of David C. Smalley of you. You <laughs> remember that, that you keep wanting to go back to find grounding for value. Right. It bothered him that I kept wanting to find the ground of things. But see, that is the very fundamental nature of human reason. Human reason wants to understand the cause yeah. of things. Yeah. It's what drives us backward, right? It is causality itself that is human reason's search. It wants right. to seek out the reasons. Animals don't do that. Mm-hmm. They encounter something, it is what it is, and they move forward. Right. We want to understand, which mm-hmm. means we want to seek backwards to grasp where something came from and why it is what it is and where it grounds itself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And that's why human reason drives us back to God. Yep. Now, going back to that um, choosing one maxim of morality and raising right. it to the level of God, what, is, what does Lewis call it? Mono. He calls monoman- these monomaniac systems. Right. And that's what I mean when I say ideology. Mm-hmm. Because an ideology takes one issue and makes it the supreme issue makes everything else subservient to it. Mm-hmm. And that destroys reality. That, yeah. That, <laughs> it, that it twists value, that, value yeah, yeah. and ethics. Right. Instead of recognizing the complexity mm-hmm. of the ethical system, mm-hmm. it forces us to do one thing and ignore all the other ethical things, which is emblematic of our entire world, the woke world in particular. When it says that our world is fundamentally oppressive, mm-hmm then the only thing that we need to do is find oppression and remove it. Right. Though, of course, because it is monoideic, because they they focus on a single ethical idea or precept, they find oppression everywhere, like the proverbial demons behind every bush. But there's a whole lot more to ethics than that. Okay, so to pick up where Lewis says this, he said these monomaniac systems that is, those that choose one of the values of traditional morality and raise it to essentially the status of God, the highest value, are then used as a ground from which to attack traditional morality. That is, the other axioms of morality. Mm -hmm. But absurdly, Lewis says, since it is from traditional morality alone that they derive such semblance of validity as they possess. It is only because we have always, as a human race, considered that a valuable portion of the ethical universe, Mm -hmm. that it has any value at all for us. Right. When we raise it to the larger status, and we try then to undermine the other axioms through that, this is what he says happens. Starting from scratch, with no assumptions about value, we could reach none of them. If reverence for parents, 
or promises is a mere subjective byproduct of physical nature, so is reverence for race or posterity. The trunk to whose root the reformer would lay the axe is the only support of the particular branch he wishes to retain. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the next thing we can close with this, actually. Okay. I think. Is this when he has those two alternatives? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Why, yeah. Why don't you read those? That's a good idea. So continuing right there, right after that portion, all idea of new or scientific or modern moralities, and we have to put into this all of the woke ideologies mm-hmm. that are currently living in our society, and Marxism, which is essentially they are Marxism, yeah. really, yeah. must therefore be dismissed as mere confusion of thought. We have, Lewis says, only two alternatives. Either the maxims of traditional morality must be accepted as axioms of practical reason, and this is very important, Mm -hmm. which neither admit nor require argument to support them, and not to see which is to have lost human status, or else there are no values at all, what we mistook for values being projections of irrational emotions. Mm -hmm. Those are our two options. And if we choose the second, which we've largely done as a culture now, we see where it takes us. Mm -hmm. And we're not done. If we continue on this path, it will take us into chaos and murder and mayhem and eventually into tyranny, right? just like it did in all of the communist countries. Right, right. Now, this is kind of where you lose interest in the essay, right? Right. There's more important information yeah. in the essay for sure. So um, basically, they're lying to themselves, huh? Or I, I, I maybe think so. more like hiding, right. hiding they're, from they're themselves. They're refusing to face the historical realities. Mm-hmm. Of human nature, yeah, and yeah. where reason points us. Now, admittedly, you can rationally take the other position. Yep. But the only way to do it is by denying the historical realities and, I think, the rational indications yep. of a reality beyond this one. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's it for this week on the poison of subjectivism. Don't forget to check out the links in the description for different things that we've mentioned. Try to remember all the things that we've mentioned. (laughs) Okay, so Johnny, what's on the Christian Atheist schedule for us to discuss next week? Next week, we're going to try to look at the funeral of a great myth. Okay. Well, you'll have a link to it to hear it read without commentary. Okay. Okay, and if you're listening to us through our YouTube channel, we'd love for you to subscribe. Try to keep notifications to a minimum so you're not bugged. (laughs) Okay, so thank you for joining us and hope you're having a great week. If you have any questions, anything you want to discuss, any episode ideas, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, you can use the link in the description for that too. And I guess we'll see you next week. Just as we're recording this, someone actually (laughs) donated something for the first time in three years. (laughs) So that was kind of fun. It was exciting. We were like, what do we do now? Yeah, what do we do now? (laughs) Okay, well, we'll see you all next week. And thank you for listening. Love you, love. I love you. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose 
Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.